When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Welcome to How to Cope. Every episode, writer Becky Howard, that's me, and my friend psychotherapist Lucy Clyde will be talking about how we can look after our mental health during the coronavirus crisis and beyond. Because whatever type of pandemic you're having, it's hard on all of us. So let's try and get through it the best way we can by talking. Oh my God. One of the things is actually that this idea that lockdown might lift, that we might have a pathway out. Are you feeling the positivity a little bit, Lucy, today? Well, uh, let's... (laughs) Or have I put coming. too much? Have I put too much on your positivity plate and demanded you? Let's not get carried were. away here. Um, no, I I am feeling cautious. I would say, and I'm just you know this idea that we might have a way out feels good, but I'm slightly skeptical as well. And I, I, you know, I tend to adhere to that idea that if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Are you saying our government possibly might not be the most reliable and? Um, have got a great track record in delivering on their promises. Becky, <laughs> how could you imply? Um, no, I don't know. Thing. Call me a cynic. Good, good lord! Yeah, that. Yeah, no, that is exactly what I'm saying. That is yes, that is what I'm saying. I'm saying okay. a hefty pinch of salt in the direction right. of Ten Downing Street from me. Yeah. So yeah. I am feeling, obviously, you know, we're now kind of, we've got our roadmap and we've kind of got all these months and dates now imprinted on our brains, haven't we, for, for various freedoms yeah. that are going to unfold, hopefully. Um, I've I've felt like it's, it's almost like a dreamlike state where I can't believe that it's actually true. Like the idea of a festival happening this summer, I know that like some of them, you know, they've already sold out some of the ones that have, have started uh-huh. um, selling tickets. Um, and this idea that a festival is going to take place in six months or less than six months, I'm like, nah. Like, I mean, to me, it's unthinkable. How, how would that? Yes, unthinkable. I, 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 I can't. I've been conditioned by COVID yeah. to kind of well, go. We in have, no, we have. I mean, this is the thing. We've all been conditioned. I tell you what, I have done. I have booked a haircut for mid-April. Oh well, me too. There you go. We can show them off at the same time. <laughs> But that's as far as I'm prepared to commit myself in terms okay. of getting out of this because I I remain very 
skeptical and it may be that I've just been COVID conditioned I I may just you know conditioned institutionalized by it maybe we should ask our guest whether she has been COVID conditioned too we should we should we should I'd love to hear if she has I suspect like most of us She probably has. Probably has. It seems like everybody has. So we are talking today um, to Nima Shah, who is an author, a debut author. Her book came out um, at the end of February and it's called Kololo Hill. And it is excellent. I have finished reading it. It is. Um, is. It's an amazing book, really, about a tale of a family who are persecuted out of Uganda um, by Idi Amin's... um, uh, government and then they come to Britain so they're Ugandan Asians who then forge a new life in Britain in the 70s and I'm really looking forward to talking to Nima um, as a as a writer as someone who is is writing under lockdown and it's also that that strange experience that many people have had of of launching books under lockdown too mm-hmm. um, and it'll be really interesting to hear her take on all things mental health. Hello. That's great. Can you hear us? Yeah, yeah, all good. Is my is my um sound okay? Because I do have quite an echoey room. But it's a little bit echoey, but what? we've had worse. I can tell you that. I'll tell you what. I'm going to grab a couple of blankets and things that will help to muffle out someone. Yeah. Thanks. I love her. We're being very nosy. We're looking at Nima's lovely room she's in and admiring her. Um, a uh, kind of tabletop display of lovely yeah. is it real flowers or fake flowers they are my publication day flowers they've lasted <gasps> quite a long time it's been a week now over a week so They're beautiful Thank you. Thank you. You, have some, you have some top vase action as well going on behind you. That's some really beautiful vases. And wow, yeah, no, I, you see, I love this because it's a, a great opportunity to just have a really good nose at people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so thank you so much, Nima. Um, we were literally just um, introducing you um, before you popped into our screens. Um, I first want to say a massive congratulations on Kololo Hill. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. It's been amazing. Considering it's a book that's launched in lockdown, it's been amazing to see the response. So, yeah, I'm really pleased. It obviously, you know, I'm quite active on Twitter and and I have a lot of authors on my timeline. And obviously people who've been releasing books during this period have had to kind of totally shift their their you know, launch plans. And yeah. there is a it seems to be a lot of lot of it's being housed on Twitter or, or Instagram or whatever you're on. Is that where you've been finding most of your you've had to kind of spend all your time engaging with people? Yeah, a fair bit. I mean I was already quite avid on Twitter and I really like it and I've met a lot of friends through that as well. Um so actually, you know, that was fine. And and because of my day job in marketing, I'm quite used to using social media for that. Instagram was the newer one and, and less so on Facebook. So but you know, that's all cool. And for an introvert like me, it's also helpful having something like social media where you can actually decide when you interact um with people and manage it a little bit more. I know there's quite a lot of negativity around social media, but I've found it generally to be quite positive. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. That's actually something you've mentioned being an introvert. Um, and actually, it's really interesting. So Nima, Nima sent us a really helpful email before before today to, with a little bit of kind of what we could talk about um, around the kind of mental health space. And you mentioned that you 
you you did mention you're an introvert, but that many people mistake you for an extrovert. Why is that? I think, well, I am, I can be quite loud, I suppose. I guess it's a case of, um, and I think there's also sometimes misconceptions of what an introvert is. Yeah. In, you know, I can be a little bit louder and I can have a chat and I'm, I'm quite good at being sort of open with new people, but at the end of the day, I'll be exhausted. My energy will be completely spent. <laughs> So I can do it, and I'm also very good at faking it until you make it, to be honest. Mm. There is an element of that. It's having to sort of be your 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 more overtly extroverted self, if you're even if you're not an extrovert. So I think it's an, um, there's an element of that. And, and that's, again, another reason why I like social media, because it's writing rather than necessarily having to talk and have a conversation. That said, obviously, we're having a chat, and I do like <laughs> talking to people, but it takes a lot more out of me. And I think that's probably quite common for introverts. Well, Becky and I, you're getting, a, there's a lot of, of hard nodding happening uh, because Becky and I <laughs> both uh, would, I think, say that we were we were introverts. And I suspect that we also both get mistaken for extroverts as well, mm-hmm. because you're right, there is that, it's, there's this idea that if you're an introvert, somehow you can't make eye contact or string a sentence together. And, you know, that's that's absolutely not the case, is it? But you have such a kind of, um, I guess, being an author, it means you have to straddle both those worlds because, you know, writing a book is probably really works well for introverts. But then there's the, as you said, all the social media stuff. And I don't know about you. I mean, it's interesting to hear that you find social media good because I I have to say I at times I find it an absolute bombardment and have to just switch off and disengage so but it's nice that you found a way of measuring it out for yourself yeah I definitely think you know and it requires some control I mean in the past I've had to use things like especially if I'm trying to write a draft or of a novel or something using apps like freedom app and other things mm. give you those sort of because I, I I do think one thing that social media has led to for me is slightly less concentration and being able to focus on things and actually it's really good that I'm still I'm writing because that's almost a counterbalance it's a way of practicing mindfulness if you like because you're so focused on a story and so I think that whole yeah rationing yourself as to when to go on social media helps um I hated it at first but that was because I didn't really know anyone on there and now it's like going into I don't know, going into the pub and just sort of saying hi to your friends that are always there or whatever. Hopefully not always there, but yeah. <laughs> often um, there, yeah. <laughs> or, we'll get back to you sometimes. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So, so you know, you can say hi and get and get up to date on the news, and I think that helps. But that even takes time, and and I really hated being on social media at first, and it can feel a bit like you're interrupting other people's conversations, and you have to sort of find your community, and and that's the good thing about. Twitter in particular is there's a big writer community and you can get yes. involved in that. So, Sometimes it feels like I'm the only person on my Twitter timeline who hasn't put a book out yet. Oh, <laughs> I just have authors and authors and authors. <laughs> that's the other thing. It's, I mean, yeah, and that's another thing about social media, isn't it? That everything sort of gets a bit amplified and you start thinking that is the real world and it isn't necessarily the real world it's it's where you just certain types of people gravitate I suppose Mm. um that can be both a benefit and a negative as well I suppose because you see a lot of all the positive stories you see the six-figure deals from publishers and stuff like that and you can start to feel like 
it's all about the successes. Um, and I think in more, in more recent years, I think people have been much better on social media about being honest about the negatives in their lives. And I think that's really important in trying to sort of show what you might have overcome or or just, you know, if you're not having a great day, just talking about that and, and showing that it's not all sort of glamour, particularly for an author. Do you think that the business of this pandemic and lockdown has made social media you said things get amplified on social media have you found yourself using it more have you found yourself believing it more have you lost your reality a little bit yeah there's certainly been times I think um both pre-pandemic with things like Brexit and Trump and stuff like that and you know as someone from an immigrant family Mm -hmm. um things sort of play on your mind a bit in a slightly different way um, and more recently with the pandemic when the first when we first sort of learned about COVID I did have to have a period where I just didn't go on there because as you say it's just constant bombardment yeah. and that is really not good for for the mind mm-hmm. uh, and and I think though but that said that's why I think sometimes social media gets a bad rap is that you know we have to take control of ourselves and it's sometimes hard to do everything is set up on social media in terms of the algorithms to make you stay on the social media so you've got to sort of work against that a little bit and and find the ways that work for you so whether that's other things like apps that's for me anyway that's how I found it and sometimes just saying yeah I'm not going to be on for a little while I'm going to take some time off and I'll come back when it's a little less crazy on there so yeah um, thinking about the the pandemic, um, when you were talking about obviously when it first hit and, and you had to kind of try and get yourself off social media because it, you know, it, the temptation obviously was to be like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, what's going on? Can you tell us a bit about what was going on with you um, a year ago? What we what was happening with you from a sort of work life and and were you had you finished Kalolo Hill? What what was going on? Yeah, so in terms of my author life, I suppose. So yeah, Kalolo Hill was sort of in the last stages of edits. That was fairly, that was a good thing, really, I suppose, because, you know, you know that you don't have that much pressure to sort of deliver a book suddenly in, in a pandemic. Yeah. Um, but said, <laughs> I've got a two-book deal, so I was trying to focus and write um, at the same time, because obviously there's deadlines with that. Um, but I seem to be a very... strange sort of I have this strange thing where actually I if anything write better in in those sort of pressurized situations um I've had other other times particularly um earlier on in the writing of Cololo Hill where I was going through some quite challenging personal circumstances but again being able to almost have the mindfulness of writing and I was able to almost be more creative I'm not really sure what you know I don't know what a psychologist would say about that why that is because I know for a lot of people a lot of my author friends and writer friends they were really struggling to get any words down and um I mean it helps because I don't have any dependents and therefore you know I completely understand that lockdown and and obviously homeschooling and all of those things are much more pressurized for certain people so that makes a difference I think um, but yeah, from a writing point of view, actually, I was all right. And um, from a day job point of view, we'd just gone into working from home and I managed a team. So I was trying to make sure that they were sort of as comfortable as they could be and and dealing with all of that as well. But again, from an introvert point of view, I, I, I don't know, but at the beginning of lockdown, it started to feel a bit like, oh my gosh, we've always lived in an extrovert's world. And this is what it might feel like to live in an introvert. <laughs> 
meetings, lots of meetings. And I, I, in some ways, despite all the personal sort of worries that are going through your head in terms of the COVID situation, I had more energy because I wasn't having to commute. I wasn't having to have meetings all day and um, be around people all day, which obviously takes mm. a lot of energy. And, and now that I'm in a slightly more senior role, you need time to focus. And I've been able to do that. So as, I, I'm not su- suggesting I'm not suggesting that I really loved the beginning of, of the pandemic and, and the lockdowns and all of that. But there have been unexpected benefits to to that situation. And then the other thing that's interesting is that I've been researching. I can't really talk about the, the period of history that I'm researching, but there's a period of history that I'm researching for book two where unfortunately people were in a a much more difficult situation than the pandemic and lockdown. And as as horrible as it is to say, in a way, that's helped because I could sort of put that into perspective of what I was going through um, in terms of restrictions and and what my family were going through and trying to remember that actually there are periods, most periods of history have been worse than this. And that's not to lessen people challenges and suffering um at this time because it is definitely a very difficult point but that helped in a way personally <laughs> to sort of read about that yeah because Be- Becky and I were talking about um about Kalolo Hill uh and about the kind of that that she and I had both sort of noticed that there were some parallels between the experiences you 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 highlight and illustrate there and where we are now and um Becky made the point that at the beginning of the book there are, there is a family who begin to live increasingly in, in a lockdown yes yes well or yeah for very different reasons very yes. different by yeah. the way but I don't want to give too much away no no I think I've never thought of that actually but yes a curfew is in in essence yeah curfew yes um, so yeah they, and then they're fearful to go outside because obviously of the soldiers and everything like that mm. so even though it's a very it's a it's a war situation it's a persecution yeah. situation not a pandemic that whole thing of actually uh, I I can semi relate now to the idea of not being able to go outside your own four walls. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, I hadn't thought about that actually. Yes, and obviously with the with the Ugandan expulsion and the run up, that's exactly mm. what was happening. Not just for Asians, but for a lot of Ugandans. So really, I mean, they put these the president had put these restrictions, these curfews in place, so you couldn't go out from I think it was seven to seven overnight, mm. um, and there'd be soldiers patrolling the streets and a lot of those things. So yeah, those restrictions. Uh, for different reasons as you say uh, but I hadn't thought about that because I'd written most of the book I suppose but it is yeah in essence it's a type of it's a type of uh, lockdown in that situation too. I'm really interested in in what you were saying about um, finding as an as a natural introvert that actually you you got more energy because you weren't in in you know once you got into your kind of lockdown swing of things because yeah. you weren't expend ex, ex, Oh, I can't, can't speak today. You weren't using it elsewhere, so you could kind of, you know, kind of keep it for yourself. So, so did you, did you kind of find that you were able to? Um, I don't know if "enjoy" is the right word, but I suppose thrive rather than I think some some people found it incredibly draining and energy sapping. Mm. But you seem to have had the kind of a different reaction to it. Yeah, I think for me, I have to be honest. I have. Thrived, and I, I'm almost re- reluctant to tell people that because obviously that isn't necessarily the the common response to this situation. I think a couple of things help. If I'd been in my twenties, it would be a very different circumstance. I, I definitely would have really struggled with being inside for a year, pretty much. You know, mm. not 
do the things that you do in your 20s, a lot of people do in their 20s. Um, so that's helped. And then, you know, I'm in my 40s now. So that that definitely makes a difference. And yeah, I have been able to thrive because, you know, working in marketing, you do have to interact with a lot of different people. But you're also, especially if you're a manager, trying to keep other people enthused and do all those things. I, can, I still have to do those things, obviously, in my job. I still have virtual meetings, but I can sort of choose when to have a quiet moment or to just... And, and the fact is I wrote most of Kololo Hill, um, the first draft anyway, on my commute. And now I don't have a commute. So I get, you know, 10 hours of writing time back a week. Wow. Again, you know, that adds up. So yeah. all of the- really making a difference um i'd say i really like this the idea that you did that thing you said a little bit earlier about an introvert's world and i'm quite i'm now very taken with that idea nima and i'm slightly wondering (laughs) if we can maybe you know build a little bit of an introvert's world uh you know when when this is all over because it sounds like that sounds like a it's a really nice idea but such an important thing to know about yourself in terms of you know what works for you and staying sane and you know juggling jobs and writing and all of that stuff yeah absolutely it sounds like yeah we need an introverts revolution or something but in a way, <laughs> of all the unlikely people to start a revolution <laughs> <laughs> protesting by ourselves well um, they'll recruit yeah. anyone they'll have switched off their phones <laughs> but I, I hope that we might at least get some balance there. And I, you know, even at work, there is more discussion going on in my, in my company about, I mean, we were quite, we were quite lucky to have remote working already. So I could work one day from home sometimes, but, but, you know, having a more of a balance. So can I have more days mm. working to be able to just recharge and re-energize and I'd therefore be better in my job. So it's things like that. I definitely think, I hope we can balance out a bit because yeah, a lot of the things that we've been doing in lockdown are probably quite suited to a lot of introverts. Um, but like I said, it really does make a difference whether you've got kids, for example, or not. So, you know, like my manager has kids and he mm. finds it really difficult at home for understandable reasons. So I think, yeah, we, we need a balance and we're going to need to work out. And I hope this is a chance to reset almost, but who knows? I think it, I think there will be a massive element of that. Um, I actually have thought one of the most difficult things to to readjust back into, you know, if people are going back into an office in, in the next few months is is the ability to not be able to mute people in meetings, like in real life. <laughs> You know, this control we've all got. We're loving all this control. We can just like, we can leave a meeting. We can just switch off a camera and go off and do something else. We're really bored. I'm not saying I do this and I'm not suggesting anyone does it. (laughs) But, you know, people do do it. And the idea of like, I've gone now, bye. Or you shut up now. (laughs) (laughs) There is definitely an element of that. That is one good point, though, actually, in that I love the virtual meetings and stuff because, because of the energy it gives. But on the other hand... Being on video, as I understand it, there's been studies done already, that it is quite an exhausting way to, to mm. communicate. This is true. Yeah. There are reasons why you feel more tired. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's why, apparently, isn't it as well, Lisa, we were talking about that in this third lockdown, there is not the um, uh, mania fashion for socialising on Zoom as there was in the first one because we all worked out 
quite quickly how draining and also unsatisfying it was to try and socialize with our friends yeah. in this way did you find that Nima did you do any of the zoom quizzes and everything last no, year we did. we did actually and um yeah I think maybe there was a novelty element isn't there because it's it's going out in a different way so that feels a bit maybe a little bit a bit more exciting and interesting I must say though my publication week last week obviously everything was virtual pretty much so mm. um, and I was saying to my friends that it felt just as special I you know it was amazing my publishers did a really good job so we had an event it's like a Q&A question sort of Q&A sorry session uh, on Wednesday evening and and yeah that was all done by video and people were able to chat and and you know leave messages for me and stuff like that and that still for for what wasn't obviously a face-to-face event felt very special and even launch day obviously because there was so much more emphasis as we talked about on social media and then I had a zoom party and then my friend surprised me with a zoom party on on the Sunday so actually because we haven't been doing it that regularly those things felt special if Mm. if we do them all the time every week or whatever then yeah, I absolutely agree because it's just the same sort of surroundings. You're in your house, you're not going anywhere and it doesn't feel different, doesn't feel special. So I completely get that. Um, And the other thing about video chats, I suppose, is because people don't always want to have their videos on, understandably, you know, as I understand, I think 70% of communication is body language. Yeah, at least, I think, isn't it? Right. High content, non-verbal, yeah. Yeah. And it's not just body language, it's, it's, um, I think it's... What they called, again, micro, micro, it's something, yeah, it's, it's all the tiny little things yeah. that we and, notice and, about and each it's, other. It's, it's the vibe as well that we get from each other when we sit opposite each other and there are cells in our brain which are exclusively devoted to that. They're called mirror neurons and they, they are basically about how we relate to a real person in real space and real time and they're how you slightly know how somebody's feeling even if they're not really telling you which in this country is really really important we really need and I sometimes wonder if people (laughs) no no they don't wish to impugn the rest of the world's relating capacity in any way but we are so buttoned up here that I am so used to not saying what we're feeling or saying exactly the opposite but I slightly wonder if we've overdeveloped it a little bit because we have to be such sophisticated readers of each other here because if you say to somebody how are you doing and they say fine they could mean (laughs) I'm in the the pit and you know I can't get out of bed but they'll go yeah you know fine and that's it. That's all you've got. Well, I totally agree. I absolutely agree. I, I do think so. I mean, yeah, even if when you've got your video on, you're only able to see a certain amount of someone, right? So yeah. there's definitely those sort of signals. And it's so interesting what you're saying. I, I do agree with the whole, you know, being British. And obviously, I, I was born here, so I'm much more sort of British than certainly my parents in terms of those responses. But it was so interesting when I went backpacking around South America and I was learning Spanish. And I became a different person when I spoke in Spanish. And I talk about that in my book a bit as well, about yes. when you speak a different language or, you know, a different culture, how you behave differently. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know because I've never worked in South America, but I imagine that um, South American video calls are slightly easier to, at least, <laughs> yeah. on, even if the video isn't on. That that would be my impression. But, <laughs> That's and, really funny you say that about the mm-hmm. language thing. It's so right because I'm 
doing quite a lot of French at the moment and I definitely am like trying to behave a little bit more supercilious and cool when I speak French (laughs) which is a bit pathetic (laughs) I'm just basically trying to be like oh yes yes you know a little bit uh... (laughs) exactly the same and what was funny is I mean my Spanish isn't brilliant but um I spoke to a friend of mine who is from uh uh from South America and he said yeah, yeah, you basically sound like a child. And I thought I sounded so, you know, sophisticated. But because, you know, you're, you're, you're saying your vocab formed and it's not exactly right. So it's so funny. Um, but yeah, anyway, so I just think, I think it's that, that, that there are obviously drawbacks with video calls um, in the long term. And that's why we need that balance. It'd be great to be able to sometimes have video calls because it means you can work from home and other times yeah. to work in the office. For you, some of the things that other people found really hard about being in lockdown didn't didn't have that effect on you. Did you have anything that you found particularly difficult to deal with? Maybe even just in those first few weeks when we were all adjusting. What did you find you find you missed the most? <laughs> I'm a homebody. I mean, I do go out. I do have friends, and I do like, like nothing. <laughs> <laughs> the things I missed were obviously being able to go out whenever you just want to pop out and. Um, seeing friends like I saw my friend for a walk the other day and not being able to hug her goodbye and you know that sort of stuff is still really difficult as I imagine mm. a lot of people mm. um, so that's that's very strange and the other thing that certainly with my parents who you know that they're, they're in their 70s and um, they were that that generation early on in, in the pandemic who were not taking it that seriously. Oh, all. no. Yeah. That. A lot of people in that generation were not taking yeah. it that seriously and thought that it would be all right. And that worried me because I was just worried about them sort of going out. But they kind of got the they got it quite soon and quite quickly, luckily. I'm sorry, they got they got they understood, not that yes. they got COVID. Yes, they didn't get COVID, thank God. That's how they learned um their lessons, yeah. thankfully. Um but yeah, so so that's hard. It's like worrying about your loved ones, because obviously even if you're a bit younger, you you obviously worry about those who are more vulnerable around you. Um but it's so funny, isn't it, how you learn to adapt to the most difficult of circumstances. And there's that change curve, isn't there, that people go through. And you all go at different sort of stages. So we we ultimately, as a, as, a, as a nation and as the world, had to go through those sort of aspects of grief and so on. But I suppose it's slightly different here because just when you think you've got a handle on it, then, you know, then you see numbers go up and then things have to change and you have to adapt to difficult different um living environments as we've gone through the year and will continue to do obviously as the vaccine sort of rolls out at least in the UK. How did you find that period there was a very odd period I think probably pretty much all the autumn um which I found very tricky um, and I know a lot of other people did as well because there was constantly shifting goalposts. So we didn't have the kind of in the first lockdown, there was very much that kind of unified. We're all in this together attitude and, and no one could do anything or do it, you know, and we thought we'd sort it out by the summer. But, you know, <laughs> let's not go there. Um, but that that period where everything changed seemingly on a week by week basis with the government introducing something, taking it away again, moving something else. How did you deal with that constantly shifting set of goalposts? Did you find that quite difficult? Yeah, it it was definitely frustrating. The other thing I've been thinking, though, is, you know, having been through, as most people will have, um, 
difficult personal circumstances, which perhaps you're dealing with on your own, at least with a situation like this, to an extent, we are all in it together. And I think that that has, on the whole, helped. You know, there there is that feeling, well, actually, we're all going through it. We're all not really sure what's going to happen from one week to, a ne- to the next. Um, so I suppose from that point of view, it's almost easier to do, or it has been anyway for me, and the feeling that actually everyone's going through a challenging time and we all have ways of coping. Yeah, but that 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 kind of ties up really with, with a lot of thinking around collective trauma, because, you know, sort of collective trauma is generally seen as being, um, you know, uh, not always, but a, a, an experience that's gone through collectively is seen as less... In less damaging than those kinds of individual traumas where we feel ourselves to be alone in our own pain and terror and loneliness and that's kind of I think that's sometimes the line between upset and trauma is feeling mm. alone in your own mind or feeling alone in your own pain so you know if you're going through experience where you're very alone um, and it's very rough then you are likely to it's likely to take you a lot bit longer to recover than from something which is collective and I think it's hard really at this stage in it all isn't it to kind of gauge the degree of collectiveness because you know it's it's we're all still going through it and it's different for everybody but it's really Mm. interesting that kind of so many people have said exactly what you've just said and and I was thinking about that with with reference to your book as well because I kind of one of the things that struck me about that is that you know I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff that happens in that book and there's a lot of kind of adversity and difficulty and I know that some of that is from your family history isn't it mm-hmm. and I wondered about that in kind of relation to you and your kind of you know your resilience because you know here you are and I know you say that you are temperamentally pretty much perfect for this situation (laughs) (laughs) so you know you you are pretty much on some level some kind of template for how to do this I guess but uh, but I wondered also if, if if some if at times you you were drawing on some of that some of that stuff from your family and some of the stuff that's in your book to help you get through the the scary times yeah, that's so interesting. So, so yeah, I mean, my parents uh, were brought up in Kenya and Tanzania, and although they didn't, there was no sort of expulsion there that might extend if there were extended family members who were in Uganda and were given 90 days to leave. And, you know, that's just, yeah, terrifying. Yeah. And, you know, some for some people, the only place that they'd ever known as home. Um, but looking on, my parents in Kenya and Tanzania, they their governments were also sort of restricting a lot of the, the rights of Asians. So there was definitely that aspect. And I suppose just as immigrants coming to a new country for my parents, that that is um, something that I haven't had to do. I've, I've been to live in the, in the US before, but it's in under very different, different circumstances. And I suppose going from British culture to the US is also not as different, obviously. That said, my parents had a colonial upbringing and a lot of, um, you know, Jane Austen and Dickens at school. and all. <laughs> so, but, you know, coming here in the 70s wasn't the easiest. And it was only through writing the book, actually, that I found out about some of the circumstances that my mum had gone through. For example, you know, just people calling her names, skinheads in the street calling her names. And she just sort of shrugged it off and she's very tough I would say yeah. um, and then it sort of echoed through to me at school and 
um, you know, being told to go back to my own country, but I was born in England and things like that. So I suppose from a race point of view, you, you know, there are things that that are common for generations, but it, I don't know if I would have said I drew on it. Now I feel, though, there must have been something in my blood because I, my grandparents went to India, um, went from India to East Africa during World War II. You know, that takes bravery. It takes resilience. Um, same for my parents, but maybe on a lesser on a lesser level. And I'd never thought about it this way, but now I think, and I even said this in my um, publication event speech. So, if I am in any way independent or determined, it probably comes from that. You know, I don't mm. think it was in my blood because I know that's not how science works. But, but you know, there's that feeling that there's something in our family that. It, you know, as survivors, I suppose. But this stuff yeah. gets passed down in 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 story and behaviour. It's yes. not in your blood, blood, but it's 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 intergenerationally transmitted for sure. Yeah, that that yeah, I think that makes sense. And yet, I suppose the one thing that is different is the straddling of cultures. Yeah. Um, well, no, maybe not so. My parents probably have that to an extent, but slightly different. So I was born here. I feel very British in many ways, um, but, you know, there are more traditional aspects of Asian culture that are also, you know, often imposed on people like me. And I suppose trying to deal with those is a bit more unique to this generation and or, or people of my generation or younger. Um, yeah. And that in itself, I think, takes some resilience and learning your own path and learning how you want to sort of proceed. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. Um Thinking about where we are now, um, which is, you know, we've we've now got this kind of idea of the, the future that will be, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, everything crossed, COVID free at some point in 2021, which feels uh, for me, actually, if I think about it, it, it was saying to Lucy earlier, it kind of still is slightly freaking me out a bit, mm. um, which is weird in itself. Um, and I wanted to ask you how you're feeling about the coming months um you know like from your introverted you know <laughs> place of comfort and I'm I'm managing this I can do this how do you feel about the unfolding next yeah. few months yeah it's so interesting isn't it because that, that whole June 21st announcement and you know everyone wanting to have, go out and have parties and then it's so funny because I was thinking something and then it played out in a tweet that I saw that someone had shared which was you know I think it was something like uh june 21st all the extroverts come out and party <laughs> and then a month later the introverts go out once that's all they've got it all out their systems um, oh yeah i think i saw that i yeah. saw that one yeah. too and it was so like uh-huh yeah yeah oh, yes. and i just thought oh good yeah i'm not the only one i am really excited to have some normalcy through summer and be able to go out and see friends properly and stuff like that if, if we can do those things but um, I am a bit scared, particularly for that that first sort of few days. I really am quite worried about going out because I think I'm <laughs> going to be completely going crazy. Um, so I'll probably sort of peek out and see, like, am I ready to, to go out there and, and do my thing? But overall, I'm really excited and I'm now starting to think, oh, maybe I should, I could plan a holiday for next year, you know, early next year. That feels feasible now and just having things to look forward to. And I'd hope that that might help even if it's you know, obviously in the UK or whatever, at least for a lot of people to be able to look ahead. And I think that's 
probably one of the most challenging parts again of the pandemic where we were having these changes week to week you just didn't know when it was going to end and I remember at the beginning when people had thought this will all be over in a couple of months and I know, I know. and then look look where we are so yeah. um yeah I think that I do feel hopeful I feel hopeful um it, it's a shame that I wasn't for example on publication day able to go to a bookstore yes. um and you know doing things like that I'm really looking forward to later in the year I mean I see my book in a bookshop will be amazing actually so, that's a really good point like isn't that. it yeah mm-hmm. thinking about um you know I know it's not a little thing because having your own book published is is incredible but actually I hadn't I hadn't occurred to me that people who've had books published at the moment you can't even go to a bookshop to see the kind of physical manifestation of all your hard work yeah. look there it is yeah, exactly display, you know you yeah exactly that. I mean that's what I really want to go and you know my parents show them like look yes. you did it sort of thing but um yeah I think that's been hard and actually that's the other hard thing about the pandemic personally is not having been able to have a proper book launch like it's been great all the social media all the online stuff is brilliant but you know authors do rely on things like literary events and being able to sort of interact with readers at those events and that Mm. I had to make my peace with and it was quite disappointing because I thought there might be a point last year when this would all be be safe yeah Yeah. bookshop but you know obviously we're in lockdown right now so um but I made my peace with it and actually it's been it's been fine and publishing a book is a long game as as we talked about you know that people can be buying your books in the years to come so you just have to sort of get on with it really I hope though you know as 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 strange as that feels right now um that the ways that we've adapted to the pandemic are the, the same sort of mechanisms that will kick into place to then get us out of the pandemic. I know there are a lot of people who are very worried about what happens post-pandemic, but um, I think overall we, as a race, are are very... Uh, adaptable? Yeah, we're adaptable, and, you know, that's how we've evolved, we've evolved to be that way. Um, you know, the adaptable are the ones that normally survive, and I appreciate that for some it will be harder than others, but I... I genuinely think we'll get there, but it might just take a bit longer for some than than some than you know many of us. Yeah, I agree. Oh, so Nima, thank you so so much for That's talking great. to us. Great. Um, massive congratulations again. Look, I've even got my copy in my little cupboard oh, here, Kalolo Hill. Mine's just um, <laughs> It was it was brilliant. I so I so enjoyed reading it. Um, oh, and. And I'm super impressed that you have continued to be able to be creative um, under under the, these circumstances because, yeah. you know, as you know, uh, and as I know, is what we've seen, it's not been like that for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, I can't wait to see what, what you oh, do. So what, what's happening with book number two? Are you, are you writing yes. it at the moment? Yeah, so I, luckily I already – so I wrote my first draft last year during this whole – first situation um and so I'm editing it at the moment yeah and but it won't be released for a couple of years because I've got paperback for Kalola Hill next year so oh, yes. I'm just going to use this time um to to get some of those other ideas that I had creatively out onto paper for now and obviously just promotion around the book and so on but I do recommend actually even to non-writers to consider thinking about doing a little bit of writing whatever it is just getting your thoughts onto a page it, it makes such a big difference if people are, are finding it difficult like I said you kind of get into a bit of mindfulness which I'm not very good at normally when my mind's always all over the place so but writing seems to work for me or whatever I, it is painting do you find or whatever. it slows you down a bit 
Yes, definitely. Because my brain is normally like, yeah, and I'm, I've got a lot of nervous energy as well. I, sometimes I just, you know, you forget as a writer, you forget your surroundings. You're in another world. So anyway, I was just, yeah, I would I recommend think that's it. A really, a really lovely tip because I was thinking about that, and I was thinking about, you know, as, as you were talking about the book and writing and stuff, and I was thinking about how important it has been for those of us who aren't writers and authors and that's me uh the only one on this chat who isn't by the way um, <laughs> uh, um yeah. actually you know one of the things that that I find helpful uh, although I've st- I'm one of the people who's really struggled with their concentration during all of this mm-hmm. is the business of reading and yes. just how kind of mm-hmm. you know I'm one of those people who's always found it tremendously valuable and that sort of you know fiction has always been my thing my kind of the the place I go when things get a bit tough and you know just how important it has felt to have to have that resource to draw on for for you know for those of us who love to read and what 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 a big deal it it has been and how it's kind of you know things like well for me personally books and music have been absolutely the things that have kept me yeah absolutely nice good work yes absolutely have tethered tethered me to my sanity my precious precious sanity you know throughout all of this and just kind of what you know just just how grateful i i've i've been to authors and musicians actually during during this time yeah Yeah. book sales because people have been sort of going to to read yeah which is great all right well lovely to talk to you nima thank you really appreciate it thanks so much no it's a pleasure thanks a lot bye bye Thanks for listening to How to Cope with Becky Howard and Lucy Clyde. If you enjoyed these podcasts, please rate them and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And tell your friends. Thanks for listening to How to Cope. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.